but were you still cutting lawns while you were doing this business? I, I was actually doing both, believe yeah, it or not. I figured you were. I, yeah. I, I was doing both, and then I found I found a company that I said, look, you got to buy this deal off me. I'm getting out. You can have all my customers, all my equipment, but I've really got to concentrate on this this new venture and get it off the ground. And uh, uh, it, it's been a challenging business, but it's been very rewarding at the same time. Hello, I'm your host, Tony, for this Friday interview episode, but first... We received this story from one of our listeners. We love hearing from our listeners like you. Jerry wrote, Well, let me tell you about the time I took my Jeep Gladiator off-road and ended up in a bit of a pickle. I was out on the trail with a group of friends, and we came across a particularly challenging obstacle. It was a steep hill with loose gravel and rocks, and I knew I had to approach it carefully. But in my excitement, I gave it a little too much gas and ended up spinning my wheels and sliding sideways. I thought I was done for, but my Jeep Gladiator had other plans. I kicked it into four-wheel drive and started crawling its way up the hill, spitting rocks and dirt behind it. I was holding on for dear life, trying to keep control, and then, well, I made it to the top. I was feeling pretty proud of myself until I looked back and saw that my buddy and his stock Wrangler had made it up the hill with ease. I guess the gladiator is tough, but it's not invincible. Lesson learned. Sometimes less is more, and it's not always about having the biggest and baddest rig out there. Well, Jerry, yes, line, taking the right line is very important. And, uh, you know, before you hit the obstacle next time, I would put it in four-wheel drive and maybe four-wheel drive low. uh, But, uh, you know, your mileage may vary. It... uh, (laughs) It might help you get up that uh, that hill a little better. And uh, you shouldn't keep yourself, uh, the, our listeners out there, shouldn't keep yourself from going out in your stock uh, Jeep Wrangler uh, or even your Jeep Gladiator. You will be really surprised how capable it is uh, straight off of the factory floor. Are you ready? It's the Jeep Talk Show with Chuck, Wendy, Josh, and Tony. From around the world. Or from your city. And sometimes just down the street. Howdy, neighbor. It's the Jeep Talk Show interview. Adio, boys and girls. It's time for another Jeep Talk Show interview. Tonight, we're going to be talking with Matt Howell. Matt's dad, Bill Howell, started the company after working for GM. There is a great blog detailing Bill's past experience that led to the inform- the formation of the company on the website. Uh, Hal EFI now has 30-plus years of EFI uh, conversions experience, and they are mostly known for Jeep EFI conversions. Most of their products are California CARB compliant, especially the Jeep products. Matt is a great person to talk to about what you should know before you buy and attempt to install uh, one of the EFI TBI uh, systems. He said that the transplant business is huge right now. <laughs> How EFI has continued to become a household product in the name of refurb shops, conversion kits, and backyard mechanic, anyone seeking efficiencies. From car rebuilds to Jeeps uh, and off-road to powerboat performance, how EFI and Harness uh, not only provide custom-fitting design and uh, harness layouts, but also customer service, service second to no one. Matt, thanks for being with us here on the uh, the show tonight. Sounds like you guys know a lot about uh, going from carburetors to EFI conversions. We do. That's that's our main business, and uh, we've been at it now. Uh, will it be Next year will be our 35th year doing it, so... 
we like to think we know something from just uh, hanging around a long time, if nothing else. <laughs> just, just staying alive. Yeah, that's, that's survival. Right. Yeah. So um, now there, there'll be some YJ owners out there that understand what this thing is with the, the carburetors and go into EFI. Uh, I have heard, I've never owned a carbureted Jeep, but I have heard that uh, the EFI system, which is electronic fuel injection for anybody that's not up from a term from, my uh, God, the mid-70s or something. Uh, it, it allows you to, uh, and all these systems are computer controlled, correct? So you have sensors and, uh, and, uh, carb, carb, really carburetor replacements with something, uh, with a, uh, I'm, I'm brain farting on it. What is the thing that sprays the fuel, uh, injectors? Uh, fuel injectors, yeah. uh, throttle body. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the main, we actually kind of stumbled into the, the Jeep market. Um, I, I don't want to say by mistake, but we were doing small block Chevrolet kits, Ford kits. We we thought really the market is typically your V8 conversion, guys with trucks, guys with Mustangs, Camaros, uh, you know, really the V8 market. And then we started to just get a, a, a huge flood of calls from guys with Jeeps who said, look, fuel injection is something we need. Uh, these other guys uh, with the Camaros and everything, they want it. They might not need it as much as we do. And let me explain why. They, The, the off-road guys uh, in the Jeeps and whatnot, the carburetors that came on the factory vehicles were not the greatest. They were constantly struggling with them. They were on these inclines that they just flooded. They just flat would not operate as as intent as intended people off-road their jeeps they do all kinds of weird angles all kinds of uh traversing and i mean they would just flood they wouldn't idle they do all kinds of rude things and they the customer said why don't you guys come up with a kit for us you know what about us we we need this thing now so that's that's really how the uh the jeep market started and at the time we thought okay the 304 guys 360 401s we really got to address them first well as it turned out the 258 guys were with the inline six jeeps were a much bigger uh a segment because there's just flat so many of those out there Mm -hmm. and the carger carburetor that was on those was was i mean if you had a dollar for every guy that called up and said my carter carburetor on my jeep is horrible I've done this, I've done that, no matter what I do, it yeah, I can't get it to work. So we knew that's where we really need to work. So what you're saying so, is uh, the, the reason why you guys are in the Jeep market is because uh, you had a lot of people bitching and complaining because you uh, <laughs> they needed something for their Jeeps, yeah. which, which is it great was, marketing, you know, if you can yeah, get it. <laughs> it was it was very much customer-driven, and, uh, uh, and sometimes that's the best way to get advice and direction, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, squeaky wheel. Um, so yeah. yeah, that's what I was going to mention uh, when I started that thing is the, the off camber, the, uh, the incline, the decline, and, uh, that causing a problem uh, with keeping the, uh, the engine running. Uh, and, uh, it, I, you know, I don't know, have any, I don't have any first hand, uh, information on this, no experience, but, uh, would it actually kill the engine? Would it, would it be sufficient enough for the fuel flow not to be proper and not and starve the engine and it would stall on, on the, uh, the individuals? Well, yeah, you would really get in a situation where the fuel is just sloshing about, and uh, it would it would in some cases it would keep running, but in a lot of cases the guys really had to struggle, you know, and learn some tricks to keep it running, and, and they'd be able to do the type of driving they really wanted to do. Um, and the other thing that was a real benefit to the fuel injection system was the cold starting was immediately approved. Uh, the fuel mileage was improved greatly because a lot of these guys 
the state of the motor was pretty good, but they had, again, these carburetors, uh, and, and this was from the factory, they weren't, they just were not the greatest thing to deal with. So a lot of the guys had jacked around with the carburetors. They had tried all kinds of different things to, to get some mileage, get some drivability, but uh, there was really just a need there to get them something that would would allow them to use their jeeps as intended. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm assuming that you have uh, some really great feedback from people that were struggling with the carburetors uh, on the jeeps uh, on the the 258s, I believe you said. And uh, then once they got your system on, that it probably was like I mean the the ability to start the ability. <laughs> to drive off-road and jostle it back and forth, I, I would imagine you had some very happy people. Well, I think that's probably the neatest thing about the whole deal is when you hear people or are, are you, you, when they do provide you the feedback and say, hey, this Jeep now is enjoyable. This Jeep is my my toy, my weekend, my, my weekend uh, getaway. And hey, it's never run better. It's doing all these things right now uh you know thank you for coming up with a product that does that so that that's that's very satisfying to hear yeah so i would assume that whenever you're uh matching a throttle body with an engine it, it needs to be a certain size you can't just throw anything on there or or can you handle that with electronics well the nice part about this too is that the the jeep customers as a whole uh and i'm talking the the guy with the inline 6 jeep and the 304 360 401 guy they I would say 90% of that customer base, it's a stock motor. It, it's a stock motor. Maybe they've changed the ignition over the years, but, you know, they haven't put a, a, a huge cam in it. They haven't put headers, right. some headers in some cases, but they haven't put a huge cam in it. They haven't put, you know, a lot of modification in that in the motor. Uh, therefore, the throttle body sizing can be pretty consistent, and then... The other thing about these kits, they're all based on GM components that were introduced on the trucks from 1987 to 95. Uh, So it's all GM components that are available from your local auto parts store. Um, And that's not something you usually find with the aftermarket. So what do you do as as far as sensors go? Because, uh, I, I mean, uh, I would assume you have to have some sensors talking back to the computer. Obviously, you have to have a computer for this, right? Right. The computer, like I say, it's a, it's a GM computer um, that you would have found on, say, the S10s or the C-Trucks or the Blazers or uh, any of that family of vehicles from 87 to 95. Then we do a calibration prom internally in the computer to the to match the engine size. And then you've got the same sensors that would have been in play on those vehicles, like a map sensor, coolant sensor, uh, oxygen sensor. So it is a you know closed loop, self compensating system. That's that's your key too to your altitude compensation. That was another thing I didn't mention, other than the the altitude pro the the sloshing around because of uh, incline issues. The the altitude gave yeah. the carburetors fits. Yep. So you have an oxygen sensor present now that's making it a closed loop system. It's it's adjusting to its uh, atmospheric changes. So there's sensors involved, but there's probably a half dozen sensors in the whole kit, and it it it's put on without you changing your intake manifold or anything major. So it's it's not really a tough swap. Good. That was going to be my next question. Now, of course, this comes with a wiring harness, and I would assume that's all about connecting the sensors to the computer. 
Right. The wiring harness is really from the computer to your sensors, to your throttle body, to your injection, um, self-contained fuse block. Um, it retains the GM diagnostic link even. So a guy has a scanner from the old days uh, or has a scanner that he used on his car. Same scanner will work on his Jeep. He can he can read trouble codes. He can do some diagnostic work on his own. Um, and we even try to follow the color codes to a to a T on the harnesses so that if a guy had a, you could look up a GM service manual for any of those vehicles and it would be identical. Oh, very nice. Uh, so it's really, it, it, it's like I say, it's a system. We wanted simplicity and we wanted the ability for someone to go buy a sensor if they had to, that's still available out there. Um, whereas I think that, uh, the aftermarket tends to always want to come up with uh, a controller of their own, something very complex, uh, and it, they really try to put that on every size motor you can imagine, and uh, that doesn't usually work out that well. Mm -hmm. So this this system is, um, uh, and like I say, the, the other key is 99% of the time, guys are putting this on a pretty stock motor, so um, the calibration work is not difficult. Right. Uh, if you did need to recalibrate it, is that something that you could do, or is that something that they would reach out to you guys to to tell you what was going on and what needed to be done? Well, both. There is software available now where if guys really wanted to dive in, they could they could do some of that work on their own, uh, or they could reach out to us. Part of our guarantee is when we do sell this kit to a guy that has maybe an RV cam, maybe he gets the kit, puts it on, says, hey, I'm a little rich here, I'm a little lean here, we just shoot him another calibration ship out and uh no charge and that's usually usually if there's any redo on the cal the second one takes care of it and the uh, the chips are easy to pop and uh, put back in i mean you don't yeah. have to d deal with epoxy yep. or anything like that inside no the no no the the chips are still removed in and out removable um pretty simple to do very good. So on the the sensors um i've learned kind of the hard way with my uh uh, 20 plus year old uh, Cherokee that uh, the best thing to do is to use the uh, the factory sensors the OEM sensors because the the replacements don't work very well uh, what sensors do you guys use we generally try to use GM sensors where we can where we can still get GM sensors um, that's getting a little harder and harder so most of those sensors are still produced by the aftermarket uh, you know through reputable companies but they're based on the GM design, so they're they're still they're still good sensors. And the uh, as far as using GM computers, where do you get these things from? Or is that is that the same situation where some are still available? Well, actually, that's also twofold. There are still uh, computers available out there as as we call pullouts. Um, the fact that we've been doing these kits close to twenty five years, thirty years, uh, well, twenty five anyway goes to show you how many of these vehicles were actually produced it's 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 right. kind of mind-boggling because they're still out there but now we actually rely on some of the major remanufacturers of the world that are still making those computers for your napa and your AutoZone and your people like that so they are available still in pretty good supply Good, good, good. Uh, would, would any of this, um, I mean, I can't imagine anybody uh, driving a, um, a, a YJ back and forth to work every day or their daily driver, but uh, would you think that this is really, uh, this kind of kit is really uh, 
Uh, this really goes down to something like a toy, something you take off-road, maybe you drive from time to time. It wouldn't be something, I'm thinking it wouldn't be something you'd want to daily drive, simply because of the parts availability. Uh, no, I, I, I don't know that I would say that. I would say it's both people. I, I know our customer base, certainly, uh, it, it might even be split 50-50 um, of the guys that have this as a toy. And we've had guys write us and say, hey, I've got 100,000 miles on this kit since I bought it from you in 1998 or something <laughs> along those lines. Right. So um, these parts uh, should be more than more than able to to drive it every day if you if you have to and and quite honestly so many of these kits that we sell go to the let's say well we're in michigan so i call them the warmer states um <laughs> so i think they're being driven a lot more than just weekend right well that's good to know and i was because i asked that because i could i could see that once you got in a situation where the 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 start was easier the reliability was easier and I'm, th- I'm and I'm thinking that maybe even get a little bit better fuel economy uh, with the EFI as well. That it might encourage somebody to t- take their not daily driver and make it a daily driver, or maybe drive it a lot more often than what they would have uh, normally. Well, I think you're exactly right. I think that's the case there because all of a sudden the thing um, usually uh, the fuel injection gets put on, and all of the ills that were there before, the guys say, "Well, it's kind of a pleasure to drive now instead of the <laughs> yeah. instead of the nightmare that I had going on before." And uh, so, uh, yeah, I think that tends to uh, uh, encourage a lot more use. Yeah, yeah, very good, very good. Yeah, I, then again, these are just questions I would uh, I would think the, the most people would ask. Is this is what I would be curious about? I mean, it's really fun uh, driving a Jeep. You you really stand out from everybody else, uh, and uh, in a good way. And, uh, yep. boy, if you can, if it makes, uh, driving easy, driving that Jeep easier, I can see a lot of people maybe wanting to, uh, do that a lot more with their, their older Jeeps. The older Jeeps uh, I, may really stand out. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. And, and again, these kits are really, we're selling to the guys that are the first seven, 1972 to 93 is what our, our kits cover. So you're talking about Jeeps that are, you know, they've got some age on them now. So we're we're not really we're not really dealing with the new Jeeps. Um they're already injected. So yeah. Right. So um I, and I, I neglected to mention this at the top of the interview, which I always like doing because I know people like going and looking at the website so they can kind of get a feel of what we're talking about. So it's halefi.com. So H O W E L L common spelling. Mm-hmm. Uh EFI, yep. electronic fuel injection, uh the initials for that dot com halefi.com. So go check it out right now while we're talking. Um, okay, so good. So now uh, I think I've uh, taken care of the, uh, the the sensors, the computer that's available. Uh, if the sensors aren't directly available, there are aftermarkets that are available that you guys put in this kit. Uh, we've uh, we've spoken about the wiring harness uh, and uh, uh, the installation. That was what I was going to ask you about. So uh, do you use an O2 sensor or two in this uh, this kit? It uses a single oxygen sensor, um, and really that that's uh, that's probably the only item. Well, I should say this. Um, that's probably part of your next question. I hate to mm-hmm. jump ahead, but mm-hmm. no, it's, it's probably <laughs> it's probably fifty fifty on guys that put this in themselves versus guys that go to a shop. Yeah, um, and 
usually in order to, well there are some jeeps that that are, we sell the kit for that already have a a bung welded in the exhaust for an existing oxygen sensor so they just install the new one um running down to the muffler shop to have that bung welded on is probably the only thing most guys don't do at home you know if they're not welders right uh, but the rest of it we usually tell a guy if you're of average mechanical skills you could put this in in 10 to 12 hours um without a problem right and uh so the yeah that was gonna be my question because i'm i'm uh when you say uh i think you said map sensor uh certainly the o2 sensor uh all those things require uh holes and uh if you don't have to change the i mean obviously uh, welding a bung on a uh exhaust pipe isn't that big a deal but like you say if you're not a welder you can take it down to the, the the muffler shop and they'll do it just keep an eye on those guys because they'll do that, but they don't always position it properly. I had uh, right. I actually broke an O2 sensor because they had it slightly forward of the pipe. So you, you really have to be anal whenever you're having somebody do the work for you. I, I maybe that's just me. I, I hate people working on my stuff, but I, I <laughs> but I'm not a welder, so uh, that no. some of that stuff you know I have to have somebody else do, or or I screw it up three times while so I learn how to do it. So uh, on the, the other sensors, I mean, we spoke with the O2. That one's fairly simple because you can always find somebody to do that for you. What about the other ones? Uh, what about the other installs on the other ones? You mentioned you didn't have to change the intake, but you do have to put the, the sensor somewhere uh, on, the, on the engine so it'll work properly. There's usually, in, in regards to the map sensor, there's simply all you do on that is it comes out in a place in the harness where you just run a vacuum line from that map to a place on the throttle by itself where you pick up vacuum. That's great. So so there's no really mounting tricks there. Uh, the coolant sensor itself, we usually give some instruction on an existing uh, place where that will thread in on the on the intake. Um that that's not a matter of where you have to drill anything new for the coolant sensor. Good. There's Good. there's usually a couple places you can go to put that in, um, and then uh, I mean it sounds simple, but sensor wise, that's pretty much it. The other sensors like throttle position sensor and idle air control are contained on the throttle body itself. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I was just thinking those, about that. The I don't know that it's a map sensor. I forget what it's called now, but I think there's a, a total of. Uh, three or four sensors on my uh, XJ uh, 4.0 uh, uh, a throttle body. So that kind of makes it nice. They're, you can find them yep. all in one place. Uh, certainly not the, the two O2 sensors that are on there. And I would assume that, that uh, let's see, there's upstream and downstream. I would assume that the O2 sensor that you guys have is upstream, the one closest to the the exhaust manifold. Correct. Yeah. Correct. We usually suggest that the guys put that in the collector. Um is really the best place you don't ever want to read off a single exhaust port so just in the collector is fine the farther back you go the more time it takes that sensor to reach its operating temperature let's say Mm -hmm. um so yeah right in the collector is really ideal very nice very nice so uh, i i glossed over the uh uh, fuel economy improvements Uh, are there fuel economy improvements with this i would assume there would be there's definitely fuel economy improvements, and we want to be a little careful with that because you never know. Uh, well, I, the way I tell guys this is is 99% of the time I can tell you with assurance you're going to see an improvement because um, you don't know what the state of the engine is. 
Some guys right. have done a pretty good job by working on those carburetors over the years to get the thing tuned in to where it's doing fairly well. Other guys, it, it's so far gone, and maybe you've got 200,000 miles on this thing. The timing chain's all over the place. <laughs> you don't know really what the state of the engine is, so they put it on, and maybe they don't see the immediate fuel economy benefit. But there's guys who've called us up and said, I cannot believe what I'm getting fuel mileage wise. I picked up two, three, four miles to the gallon and I'm pleased as punch. Oh yeah. So we like to tell the guys it could be anywhere from one to four. Um, uh, but it's definitely an improvement because you're, you're, you're putting on a system with, with that oxygen sensor in play. It's just so much more efficient. It, it's it's just doing so much so uh, you know so many things better let's say mm-hmm. and and also too it really would depend on where you're driving uh because uh, obviously you're sensing the environment now the computer's making decisions based on the environment and if you if your environment changes quite a bit while you're driving uh then you would see uh declines in fuel economy with a carburetor i would assume and this is me talking not you and then uh, if you get a system that actually reads and modifies things based on the environment readings, then obviously it's going to be uh, more efficient. And, and also, mm-hmm. too, I, I have to say that uh, all, and I would assume that the electronic fuel injection may even give you a little boost in uh, performance, uh, maybe that seat of, uh, seat of the pants feel. And then that's going to affect fuel economy as you're using that throttle pedal a lot more. <laughs> well, I'm glad you put it that way, because that's generally how I I try to put it to the customer and how I try to train the guys at work on the phone to do it because again so much of the aftermarket is is uh, and I know we're in the aftermarket too but I I I have so many issues with how things are sold right and you know call the the first thing out of the customer's mouth is sometimes like what's the horsepower gain I'm going to (laughs) see well um and 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 granted that, that a lot of product lines are based on that in and of itself and whether they're true or not who knows but i always say you know we're not selling this as a big huge horsepower gain not i'm not going to tell you stories i'm not going to blow smoke but right. this right. the difference in what you experience seat of the pants and driving this thing around compared to what it was doing before is night and day so psychologically you're going to think the performance is greatly improved but I'm not going to tell you it's making 40 horsepower more because it, it's not. Um, but there is a gain there. And and like you say, the seat of the pants is the best way to put it because mm-hmm. you definitely feel it um, accelerate now, uh, cold start, and do do all those things correctly. All right. Makes you happy. Uh, it may not give you uh, uh, the numbers that make you happy, but it makes you happy to, to drive the Jeep again. And, yep. uh, and and yeah, I think you said it really well too. It really depends a lot, not only on the driver, but the the the, the condition that the motor is in, uh, depending on uh, how well it's functioning just to start with. So, uh, you know, if you if you uh, do a brand new build and you slap this thing on it, then yeah, it should all be peachy keen, and you may see some great things. But uh, it, it'd be interesting to see. I mean, I bet you MythBusters could have uh, done a whole season on just uh, horsepower gains. And as we all know, I mean, I, I, I'm sure you guys yeah. either have or have uh, have had stickers, how EFI stickers uh, before. That's the only thing that provides a real horsepower gain. So when you take those how EFI stickers and put it on your Jeep, it's a, at least 10 horsepower. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> at least. <laughs> yeah. Yep. 
All right. So uh, on this, uh, oh, is there any kind of, uh, and, and I don't know if everybody understands the throttle body or not. This looks like it would be an extremely simple install. It's probably uh, four bolts like it is on uh, like on the, uh, the 4.0. Uh, four bolts. Uh, looks like you guys have a plate uh, that it, uh, it sits on and uh, a couple of gaskets. I mean, so literally putting the throttle body on is maybe a 15 or 30 minute ordeal. Well, to give you a little background on on just the history of the throttle body and how we really got into the ability to do the kits, mm-hmm. um, um, because obviously they haven't made any of those since 1995. Right. I mean, that was the last year. Uh, but the throttle body really came about because GM, the government came in and said, well, here's all these new emission standards you guys are going to have to start meeting. And I mean, that was that was... That was D-Day for the automakers. That was like the money that they spent to go from carbureted motors and mass production to something that would meet these mandated new uh, emission standards was, I mean, this that was their answer at the time, the throttle body. It's really, uh, people look at it and say, well, that's nothing but a simplified carburetor. Right. Well, right. It, it's it's a lot more than that, but I think that's the simplicity of this system is what's allowed it to exist as long as it has, because, you know, there's been other kits that have come and gone, but um, they were way more expensive, way more complex and uh, undue, undue complexity, I thought, but really, and, and we were, I guess we were right place, right time. We were in Michigan and we had a guy call us up one day and we weren't doing kits yet. We were doing mainly transplant harnesses. And he said, he was a surplus buyer for GM's um, surplus, and back in the back in the old days, I call them the golden days. GM did not have a very good uh, handle on on parts they needed for vehicles coming out the other end of the line. So they would literally sell us pallets of these throttle bodies oh, new. Man. I mean, just we would go down and they'd say. I've got several hundred of the four threes. I've got several hundred of the five liters. I've got several hundred of the five sevens. And we thought, well, at the time it was a tremendous investment. We thought, well, we're going to take a plunge because I think we could really do a kit based on these. And uh, again, we weren't even thinking about the Jeep, the Jeep people. We were thinking about small block Chevy guys. And uh, so we started buying these, these surplus throttle bodies and they were literally brand new throttle bodies on pallets on plastic they were specifically plastic tray type things and they were just stacks of them and we would have to come up with a lot of money and <laughs> go see these guys but we would buy them and um uh you know that's really how it started and and what we do now is we actually buy throttle bodies mostly from the west coast that we take completely apart and we pretty much replace every part in that throttle body is still available as well as injectors there's one company that still makes those injectors from scratch and um uh that's how we we really come up with the product now um but there was a time there for 10 or so years where we literally bought every throttle body that gm didn't use and they were brand new and and a lot less work doing that it that way i can guarantee you yeah a lot more expensive um, i imagine as well yeah, it was more expensive, but uh, like I say, luckily the aftermarket makes pretty much every part that's in that unit. We rebuild it, everything in it's new. They get clean, bead blasted, and they look new when they're done. Mm-hmm. But uh, really, that that was really GM's initial answer for meeting the SBOG requirements. 
So do you see an end to this insight? Are you going to run out of parts anytime soon? Well, and I guess that's really, that's, that's the challenge. Um, that's really the challenge. I, I, I have looked at doing some different things where we maybe make a proprietary unit and, and that's kind of ongoing. Um, right now there's, and again, there's only a, an infinite supply of used ones out there. So right. that's definitely right. a concern. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that would be interesting, too. Uh, what about the, the computer itself? I mean, if uh, uh, and I was going to ask you earlier, is there any, I mean, this, these are older systems, so the, the chip shortage probably isn't affecting this. But certainly, if you were going to come out with your own computer system, which I would assume you would have to, or something aftermarket that would fit your needs, uh, that's going to be a concern as well, is this getting the chips for these things. Well, believe it or not, the chips, uh, the, you're right. The chips are a concern because it's an old enough chip where they no one really likes to make them anymore. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, they can't keep up with the new ones as far as that goes. Right. So, no, that it, it, they really, um, we have a decent supplier on that. Um, this, the funny thing is, it's not really funny. Another challenge is just the plastic holder that those chips go into. Right now, we're in the process of making that holder with a, injection molding company because the holder isn't made anymore uh, so you're you're right uh, it, it's it's a constant challenge when you're dealing with a kit uh, you know in that that time in history mm -hmm. so yeah but we have looked into there has been technologies that, that have come about to where that that computer could be reproduced now probably easier a lot easier than then so we may have to cross that path when we when we get to it are you are you aware of the Raspberry Pi computer? No. Okay. It's it's a very low end. I was going to make a joke about the, the, maybe you put a Raspberry Pi in there to do it. It's a it's a forty dollar uh, full computer system, video, the whole nine yards, and uh, it's an ARM processor. And I would just I've always thought it would be funny to take a, an old uh, Jeep and uh, to get rid of the computer that's in it and just put in a Raspberry Pi. It's it's a hobbyist type computer. So okay. Uh, anyway, uh, look it up, and I'll, I think you'll you'll see the joke uh, when you look up and see what the Raspberry Pi is. <laughs> Uh, but okay. anyway, some of the listeners will go, oh, yeah, that'd be funny. So anyway, the right now, though, you don't have any shortages. You have plenty of parts uh, for all your kits. Uh, so if somebody wanted to get one for uh, their Jeep or uh, an, one of their older Jeeps, uh, that it, that would not be a problem. This is just really, I mean, once you get the kit, once you have the computer, you really don't have to worry about the chip shortage or uh, supplies or anything like this it is mainly uh, i was just kind of uh, looking at from it from your standpoint how you're going to be able to continue doing this uh, for in the future and really is kind of a reason for people to buy one of these things now <laughs> well I, I i will say this i'm uh, those are things that probably take more of my time now than i would like mm -hmm. uh is is really i like to work with enough stuff on hand let's just say for a couple years out at least so we're in good shape as far as a couple of years out, but uh, you know I'm always uh, as as the owner, as the CEO, I, I really need to be five years out. So, um, and obviously with the COVID, we stayed open during that. Um, but just suppliers in general, even on new parts, it was really, and I sure I'm sure you guys hear this from everybody. It was really a challenge. Oh, so, yeah. um, it. it, it it just across the board and now with prices and everything else. But again, that's a whole nother topic. So yeah, a, a great deal of my time and, and I view it as a tremendous challenge because it is when you, 
I always tell everybody with when you're dealing with a kit that relies on parts that are in this era, I feel like I'm in a dinghy and it's springing <laughs> a leak uh, of one side. I run down there and take care of that. And then well, just to give you a short story, we were working on the prom issues a couple of years ago and then we got a pretty good handle on the proms. And then one of my guys, one of my programmers said, you know, got the prom thing figured out. He goes, you think anybody's making the plastic encasements for those anymore? I said, well, based on what we've dealt with up till now, probably not. So it, it's always something, but it, yeah, we're, we're definitely a couple of years out on, on having, on having kits for sure. So uh, you guys do a lot more than just Jeep and, and also to you uh, handle engines that go in Jeeps that aren't Jeeps. There are GMs and uh, I would assume it's primarily GM engines, uh, transplants that you, that you yeah, have. there, there's really two, two major facets. We were, we covered the kits there and that, that's, that's a major, uh, major part of it, but, and probably revenue wise it's it's a little bit more but i'd say we're almost 50 50 but really what we started the business doing in way back in 1988 um my father i was 21 at the time and and i was an entrepreneur uh anyway and he was gm was doing early retirements and he said yeah he had a boss he didn't particularly like so he said <laughs> that sounds good to me why don't we start something on our own and it, at the gm tech center at the time they were the fuel-injected engines had only been around about three years, but they were starting to put these Corvette engines into Monzas and, I mean, just yeah. <laughs> any, anything they could get their hands on at the tech center, they were putting these in. And then all of a sudden, the aftermarket said, well, that's pretty cool. So we started out by doing a, a S10 4.3 throttle body harness to put a throttle body motor into whatever you wanted to. And then we did a Corvette tune port, Camaro tune port. In 1988, I think we had four harness designs, and we were in the basement, and it was one of those stories. Right. And uh, right. and in May of 1988, uh, since my my dad was actually not an electronics guy by by background, he was he was in the race shop at GM, and they were back in the good old days when they were working with Junior Johnson and Roger Penske and. When GM wasn't "quote unquote" supposed to be racing, Jim Hall, the Chaparral program, the programs like that. So he was really, you know, he knew a lot of people, and we knew a guy at Hot Rod Magazine who wrote for him. And we were actually working out of the house I grew up in, in the basement, making wire harnesses. And Hot Rod said, "We'll do an article on on this deal for you," and we're using our own home phone number and we appeared in hot rod magazine in may of 88 and my mom was ready to pretty much kill us because the phone rang <laughs> off the hook 24 hours a day and, that, and we were we were off to the races that's great that. so um we really started by just our intent was to make transplant harnesses so guys could take these new fuel injected engines and really put them in whatever they wanted to and the street rod guys were really into it uh and uh, really, the challenge was then to just keep up with all the motors as they changed. The LT1s came along, the LS series motors. Uh, so we cover them all. I mean, but mostly GM, like you say. We did not have any really... Uh, the aftermarket did not really want to put Ford engines in in mass. And they really weren't putting Dodge. They weren't interested in that end of it. And we really didn't have connections in that end of in the market so we 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 stayed with gm we understood the gm product line so 
we do everything up through the 2020 direct injected truck engines now. Um, you know, as far as putting those in different things, LS3s, LS7s, LS9s. So um, that's a big segment of our business. Very cool. So uh, I think everybody loves the, uh, I started in my basement, I started in my garage type thing because it gives everybody hope that if they're willing to, uh, if they have a good product and they're willing to work hard enough, uh, you can be a success all on your own. You don't need that boss that you can't stand to, <laughs> to make your day or your weeks horrible. Well, I've got four kids and I try to stress to them and, and they're all, a um, couple are starting careers. One's in college. One's uh, my youngest is in uh, junior in high school. And I try to stress to them. Uh, and I, I guess I, I, I'm more of an entrepreneurial bend. I, I uh, started as a paper boy. I had a pretty large uh, lawn cutting business because as a kid, I just, I, I honestly have never worked for anyone in my life. So I just, I came kind of natural to me that I can go out and do this X, Y, Z, make money. Um, and it just kind of worked out. Um, but I try to stress to them, it, it's still doable. And I stress to anybody, it's, it's still doable if you want to do it. Um, it's not easy, but it, it's, it's, it's attainable. Yeah, it's a, it's a big yeah. learning process. So uh, yeah. the, at 21, you say you were an entrepreneur. Was that something that your, uh, your dad, your family uh, strived uh, or, or put, put into your head? Or was that something you came up on your own? Well, I think it was kind of on my own because, like I say, my dad used to always tell me, I don't really know where this comes from because he was at General Motors and he was, he, was not, he was not an entrepreneur by nature. My mom was, uh, was a stay-at-home mom. And uh, uh, like I say, I, I had every lawn on my block. I couldn't drive. <laughs> so I basically hauled all this equipment around and cut everyone's lawn, did snow. I had paper. I, I tell people, it, I just it, it just seemed like it was easy to figure this. No one else was doing it. So mm -hmm. I'm like, well, no one else is doing it. I'm going to do it. So when the early retirement thing came along, he said, I think we could do this together, um, father and son. And we had a good relationship. And we did throughout the whole business, knock on wood. Um, and we both put about, I think at the time, we threw about 10 grand each in and said, we're get, look, we're going to put this money in. We're going to order wire connectors, terminals. We're going to get going on this. And we're not going to go to the bank and see if, if it can, can, can do this on its own, if it can feed itself and we can make money at it, um, you know, let's give it a go. But we're not going to do the go to the bank, get a million dollars and, right. you know, see if we can do it. And quite honestly, it has made its way since then. And uh, I always joke, we set our salaries at like 12000 a year. And I think that to start, and I was making more than that at the time with my other businesses I had going. So it's like I took a pay cut to start this deal. And I think we only missed one month of getting paid ever. So I said, that's that's not bad. Oh, it's not. It's not at all. <laughs> so I was just going to ask, I think you just answered this, but were you still cutting lawns while you were doing this business? I, I was actually doing both, believe yeah, it or not. I figured and you were. I, yeah. I, I was doing both, and then I found I found a company that I said, "Look, you, you got to buy this deal off me. I'm getting out. You can have all my customers, all my equipment, but I've really got to concentrate on this this new venture and get it off the ground." And uh, uh, it it's been a challenging business, but it's been very rewarding at the same time. Mm -hmm. No, you wouldn't be. I, I doubt you'd be doing it if you didn't really enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We've got about twelve employees. And, um, uh, we've had people retire from the company. Um, and 
I've always said, I've always strived to pay a little more than anyone else in the area is paying. And that way we don't, we don't have much turnover. And I'm, I'm happy to say we got people that have 20, 30 years under their belt. And so I think that's a good, I think that's a good indication of what we're doing. No, I, I would imagine so. I mean, just the thought of, uh, uh, helping a family uh, live and survive, or just an individual live and survive, is uh, I think a great uh, a pat on the back uh, because uh, I mean you're making a big difference in their lives. Yeah, I'd say that's the that's the one thing we used to. Uh, my dad would say, and I agree with him. It's it's the biggest thing is we we'd have our Christmas party and you'd see everybody around. We'd gather everybody, and you, and you you would just like to think, look that there's there's someone who's able to make a living. Uh, their families. You know, they're, they've got a good wage. Their family's there. So a lot of satisfaction for that, for, from that, sure. And I would imagine a lot of stress on that, too, to make the right decisions for the company. So not only do you get paid, but they continue to get paid. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, the other joke I always like to tell is my dad said, well, the reason I also wanted to get out of GM is I, I don't like to manage people. I don't want anything to do with it. <laughs> so I said, no, that that's great, Dad. Uh, that's right. kind of what I've done for the last 35 years. You've got to... Uh, and I tell my kids this too, if you, you, it, you, it's not eight hours a day, it's not a 40 hour a week job and you've got to learn how to do a little bit of everything. I interview people, I hire, I try to hire the right ones, but uh, managing people is probably by far the most challenging part. Oh yeah. <laughs> no question. Well, it's so many variables. Uh, you don't know what's going on, on, uh, going on in their lives that might be affecting their job performance or their ability to yep. focus, uh, et cetera. So yeah, I can imagine. So yep. uh, we were we were talking a little bit before uh, we started the recording the interview, and you mentioned a test Jeep specifically. the The one I'm talking about is the one that has the the V8 in it. Uh, yep. Can you talk a little bit about that? I, I know people love. Well, you know, you you learned whenever they did that story on you guys how much people love uh, go fast uh, type things or, or more power <laughs> type things. So. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. We have to talk about the Jeep with the, uh, the what was it? Did you say it's a 5.3 that was in it? Yeah, it's actually a Jeep my brother-in-law had, and he, he's always had Jeeps, and he had this um, 2004 Wrangler Sport and uh, with a manual, and it originally had an inline six in it, and uh, and I said, and it was gray and a hard top, and I said, man, and it was nice. It was low mileage. I said, you ever want to sell that thing? Let me know, because at the time I thought I'd just be a nice, you know, nice little daily driver. Mm-hmm. I really wasn't thinking about it from the company standpoint, but then we got to thinking about it, and we we generally always have a couple LS based test stand engines in the shop where we can program a computer, we can stick it on this test stand, fire it up. But then we thought uh, at the time we had a 2008 53 from a truck from a Silverado. And it uses what's called an E38 computer. And we really needed to do some some software development on a vehicle we could run around with, not just a static test. Right. So we thought, well, this is not, this is overkill. And this is, they put that thing in the Jeep, you know, high center of gravity, <laughs> uh, short wheel pace. 
it's not the smartest thing we've ever done, but it might be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, so fun. Put, <laughs> Definitely fun. <laughs> <laughs> so we did, and we wanted to, we thought originally we might put it in with the 4L80 or the uh, 4L60 GM automatic so we could do even more development on, you know, trans reprogramming, things of that nature. But then we thought, no, let's let's see what, what would involve putting the leaving the 5-speed in there because that would be even more kind of a cool driver. Mm-hmm. So we did. And, uh, like I say, it's, it's a, uh, we left the exhaust a little bit. It's a little bit noisier than it should be, uh, but course. I you mean, got it, it has it is, to be, has to be. Yeah. <laughs> but it's one of those vehicles. You just, you get in this thing and you, when I fire it up, it just, it just puts a smile on your face. Cause it just, the thing just has a little twist, you know, you fire it up it just twists the chassis. And, and then when you drive it around, it's like, oh, you just really want to hammer on it. But then you find, uh, you know. Like, like say the jeep it's just kind of squirrely so it, it's really a fun vehicle and uh i want to teach the kid the kids need to learn how to drive a manual and i thought well i'll teach him on that or the 90 uh but it's it's certainly a toy yeah i can i can well imagine that they would be very yeah. eager to learn and uh, you're not so much eager to be a passenger <laughs> while, while they're learning but my son my son who's in a junior and he's driving to school for the last year and he drives a cruise, which isn't the coolest vehicle. But he says, "Why can't I drive that?" And and we've got a notorious speed trap by our between here and school. And I said, "Do you realize this thing will not hardly even idle? What you need to go through there at and the noise and the." I said, "I right, not a good idea." So uh, maybe just uh, on, uh, the, on the weekend. Yeah, is it a stock engine or have the modifications done to it prior to no, the injection? No, we, we decided we decided to leave it stock because uh, we thought well, we thought about doing a cam. Uh, it does have headers on it, but we thought a five three with headers in a Jeep. Nah, that's that that's plenty scary. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, it's stock. Now I haven't driven anything that would be, uh, I guess, not street legal, but I have never driven anything that had too much power. I have never said, oh, no, no, this is too much power. I can't get it. <laughs> to, to me, it's always. And one of the reasons why I got into trucks and Jeeps is because now at, at 18, 20, and so on and so forth, you know, you're not going to die, but somebody else is going to. So I did yeah. it as a public service. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, this this falls under the category of too much power, in my opinion. And uh, But, like I say, a lot of fun. Uh and and I generally I've had Corvettes and different things like that, and so I'm I like having the power. But, oh yes, uh, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No such thing. It's like people would say, oh, uh, like buying a computer or something. Oh, that's too much disk space. Are you are you insane? (laughs) (laughs) There's no such thing as too much memory, too much disk space, or a screen too big, (laughs) and that's the same thing is with a with horsepower. There's no such thing as not enough horsepower. (laughs) As long as you can control it uh, with your foot, uh, then absolutely, there's no such thing. I mean, it's it's great to have it's great to have that uh, zero to sixty in one point two seconds when you're needing to pass somebody. You know, that's right. It's safe. That's right. They give it that way. It's safe to get around them and then go on down the road. Yeah, <laughs> the lies we tell ourselves. So um, I I, I got to think that uh, you know how the kids love the social media. Do you guys have uh, pictures of this Jeep on your social media? Do you have social media? Um. We do, uh, we do through Martin and Company. Being that's our ad agency. You met Leslie. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, they asked the same question because it, it came up. What you know, we need to shoot some some social media stuff this spring, get winter out of the way, 
what can we shoot? And we were, t- we were bouncing ideas off each other. And I said, well, you know, we've never really done anything on the 5.3 Jeep. It's, it's just kind of there. Uh, so they got pretty excited. So this spring, we are going to shoot some, some video on that. Um, so that'll be good. And uh, uh, another test vehicle we have, not in the Jeep family, but we've got a 68 Chevy truck that has a 350 Chevy in it. There was a tune port. Um, that's actually a family heirloom. I, I went out to Nebraska, bought that from my uncle, and drove it back. That had an inline six in it with a four-speed manual, so that <laughs> and no cruise control. So you can imagine driving that back from Nebraska. So we're going to do something on that too. So yeah, we'll see more more of that this spring. Excellent. So uh, nothing on. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I guess uh, uh, Leslie would be the person to ask, but nothing on uh, Instagram or uh, Facebook or anything come to mind. We, yeah, we are on Facebook, Google um instagram um yeah it'll go through all those channels yeah excellent excellent well matt i certainly appreciate it really interesting a great story like i said everybody loves the idea of uh, they don't like the idea of initially the the investing money and doing all the hard work but they love the idea that if it's still possible to start a business i mean uh, obviously i I think everybody's heard the story about uh, apple starting off in a garage uh, and uh, uh, Bill Gates starting off, uh, and, and of course the m- most recent one is uh, Elon Musk. Good Lord, mm-hmm. there's a man yeah. uh, that uh, has done so many w- wild things. So you don't limit yourself. Uh, give it a try. But as uh, we found out talking to Matt, he was still mowing gar- mowing yards while he was doing this. So don't think that you can just start a m- multi billion dollar business without having to ha- to do other things. Quite often it is that. Uh, the necessity to not only work two jobs, but sometimes the equivalent to three because of the business that you're starting. It requires a lot of hard work and a lot of effort. But I, I'm sure you loved doing it. I'm sure that you look back and you're just very happy. Uh, even if it had failed, you would have been happy that it had, uh, that you were doing something for people that they enjoyed it. So. Yeah. I would agree. Sometimes yep. success isn't a dollar figure. Uh, I mean, we certainly know that here on the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's there's a lot of value to doing what you love to do mm-hmm. for sure. I mean, that's that's not like going to work. I mean, it it gets gets awful challenging at times, but I still feel like uh, it, it's it's not like just you know heading to the salt mines or anything like that. So. It means it means a lot more whenever you're doing things uh, under your name, under your efforts, than it does somebody else's. I mean, yeah, I, I, I always recommend everybody always be a good employee, but it just means a lot more whenever it's uh, your name on the line. Yep, I would agree. And and the other thing I'm trying to stress to the uh, to anybody because we're seeing a lot of consolidation. I don't know how many other companies you have, but they're right now in the aftermarket, a lot of the companies are getting bought out. Mm-hmm. And that's one fear I have is you, right now we've almost got two bohemists that own everything. So it's, it's getting harder and harder to just, you know, um, you know, avoid that. But again, you encourage anybody that has a great idea, you know, you know, give it a shot. Yep. Yep. And especially whenever there are situations like this where people are buying up, companies are buying everything up. Uh, it doesn't mean that they know everything that they're doing. They just got the money to, to buy the, the people who've gone out there and started things up. 
Well, Matt, I yeah. certainly appreciate your time tonight, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, the the images that are coming out sometime after this spring uh, about the uh, the 5.3 uh, 2000. What was it? 2005? Did you say 2004? It's uh, a four. Yeah, 2004 yep. uh, TJ. So yep. uh, sounds great. Sounds like you guys are having a lot of fun uh, there. Not only you know worrying about stuff, but also too having a lot of fun uh, testing these things out. That's that's going to be a for blast. sure. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. All right, Matt. Well, thanks a lot, and uh, we'll uh, hopefully be talking to you real soon. Well, thank you, Tony. It was a pleasure. Now, we want to thank Matt Howell from Howell Engine Developments, Inc., Howell EFI, for joining us today and telling us all about their product and what they do over there with their electronic fuel injection. Uh, It was a truly valuable thing to learn, and everybody that has a carbureted Jeep might want to consider getting one of these EFI systems. Just go to HowlEFI.com and see what they have for your Jeep. And to our listeners, we want to hear from you. Who do you think would make a great guest on the show? Who do you want to hear from and what topics do you want us to dive into? Let us know by sending an email or reaching out on our social media. Your recommendations help us bring the most engaging and informative contact. So don't be shy. Let us know who you want to hear from. And thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you again soon. Hey, and coming up next week, Mike from Cargo.dog, that's Cargo.dog, will have uh, some great things to tell us about uh, some uh, nylon netting that will keep your dog where it belongs uh, and, uh, you know, out of the front seat trying to get into your food and uh, drinks. Uh, And it's also uh, great for just uh, tying down cargo in your uh, Jeep Wrangler. And don't forget, every Friday we have a new interview with a fascinating guest. So make sure you tune in and keep learning and growing with us. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Well, folks, let me tell you, it's Friday, and we're all looking forward to the weekend. But I want to take a moment to remind everyone that there are brave men and women all deployed around the world, fighting for our freedoms and safety. That's right. Remember, everyone deployed. Our military makes sacrifices every day. They put their lives on the line so we can enjoy the freedoms that we sometimes take for granted. Now let me tell you, these are tough, strong, and resilient people. They're the backbone of our great country. So on this Friday, I want everyone to take a moment to think about our deployed service members and their families. They're the ones who truly understand the meaning of sacrifice, and we owe them our support and gratitude. And to all our service members, I want to say thank you for your service, your sacrifice, and your commitment to our country. Broadcasting since 2010.